different than a normal protector show this is everyday protectors i'm talking to the people that are out there on the front lines like yourself let's talk about it man let's talk about what is it like on the street now oh man the the streets nowadays are a little bit different obviously um we're we're dealing with uh a different vibe and it's been cyclic you know through my whole career because i've been doing this for uh, just over 28 years now and um, you know, as you go through your career, you get the they love us, then they hate us, then they love us, then they hate us. Um, so you kind of go through those cycles. Uh, this one's been a little bit more hateful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, across our country last summer, everybody kind of saw how that turned out. So that gives a different vibe. And plus, we were in the middle of this pandemic thing. And so um, we had to make a lot of on the fly decisions on, on, uh, you know, taking care of our people was one big thing because nobody knew what was happening with this, this uh, pandemic. Like how do we respond to it? How do, and it was almost a day by day thing of uh, adjustments being made for the street guys. And uh, then you add in the fact that uh, there was a little bit of hate towards cops across the country. Um, we do, pretty well here in Arizona as far as uh, how we're treated by our citizens. So we, we don't suffer uh, like we're not feeling the effects like the, the Oregon's, the Washington's, the Baltimore's. We don't feel that type of effect, but you still feel it here. It's still uneasiness. Um, and a lot of the, the uh, men and women on the street are a little bit worried. And the weirdest thing was that it crossed over into our personal lives like it never had before because we had people that were actively trying to hunt us on duty and off duty, which, which was a, a new thing. Right. And, uh, um, that was something else that we had to deal with because what people don't understand is how much stress that puts you under. And that stress then starts to translate over to your job on the street. Um, uh, and they become less and less, uh, they become shorter, right? Because, everybody's kind of on edge. And so it, it makes it a lot more difficult to work the street. When you think about having to not just be a protector on the streets, but then worrying about what's you and your partner and those around you and the citizens you protect, and then you bring the family into it and your family being a target just because of that badge you wear on your, on your chest, that shield is to protect you and protect others. And then when you have to think, I'm out here on the street. Is someone out there trying to do damage to them? Is someone trying to hurt them? The things that you really hold dear. Now, I could completely understand that. What kind of protective measures have you taken for your family? I mean, you don't have to divulge them, but did you have those difficult conversations with them and said, hey, look, this, this too shall pass, but in the meantime, we really need to step up and protect ourselves? Yeah, um, we, we did. Uh, and, and the thing is, again, having done this so long, I've had those conversations long ago and, and having done undercover work for a while, um, had those conversations then. So you have plans in place already. Um, and you know, my wife having raised, we have, uh, kids that range from 29 is our oldest, 13 is my youngest. And so we've been through this a few times with them. They're all kind of trained on it. And it's weird that you have to train your family 
to prepare for circumstances like that. But we, we've done it over the years, just like everything else. You pre prepare for emergencies at your house, like a fire. You know, you have a plan for that. You have a plan for flooding. Um, this just became another plan. Um, and what's weird about cops kids is they're so resilient and, and uh, they, they understand that they're different, but they still do their normal kids stuff too. So um, we tried to make it as normal as possible and not a big thing and, and more like, Hey, this is just another thing that we have to kind of do just, you know, just in case uh, anything happens and they watch the news they see and they fill it at school and social media. They understand that there's some hate towards dad. Um, and one of the big things I had to do because social media is such a thing now is tell like my teenagers, Hey, stay out of those arguments, stay out of those discussions. They're not going to get you anywhere. Don't try and defend your dad on social media because my concern was for that is that they were going to get attacked, right? That now people were going to seek them out specifically because they've identified themselves as a law enforcement um, family member. And so just trying to keep them from doing that kind of stuff. My wife kind of already knew that gig. Um, she knew and, and she takes protective measures at home. And then you have that discussion with, with your men and women of your agency too. Like be careful on social media, um, check your routes going home. Unfortunately in the world we live in right now, we have to do heat runs, right? We have to see if we're being followed. And again, doing undercover work and, and doing work against the cartels. I'm kind of used to that. I pay attention to my surroundings when I get home. I different use different routes, uh, you know, all that type of stuff. And now you're having to have that conversation with normal street cops who usually don't have to do that that much uh, because they're not targeted like that. They, you, you have a few bad guys that hate cops, but they don't specifically track you down. Right. It's usually when you're messing with the real bad guys on those big cases that they may do that because you're a key witness. Um, so it, it was awkward um, kind of working through that because that adds to the tension and it adds to the stress that you're under because you're worrying about yourself. You're worrying about all these new problems. You're worrying about your family. You're having to take protective measures at home and, you know, hardening your house as a, as a target, making it a harder target. And also making sure that everybody in the house has the means to protect themselves and they know how to get to it and they know how to handle it. They know the interior of the house. They know, you know, uh, good hold spots and, and, cover and concealment, all the weird stuff that uh, we as cops consider normal, but normal people just don't know. Yeah. Protector, you have to protect this house as well. So I absolutely understand that, you know, living and being in a, a dual LEO family, it's, it's interesting times, especially a lot of people, you know, being in a federal world, it's easier in plainclothes world to kind of keep your lifestyle away from other people they don't know what you're doing they don't i'm not coming in with you know a uniform on every night but you know when i was in border patrol and i know a lot of border patrols the old-fashioned cover shirt you know throwing a shirt over your uniform throwing some sort of thing on so people don't know who you are and it's kind of a shame to not be able to have that to be proud about it but you're still proud inside you still work with great people now your organization work such a diverse area you can be in an austere environment by the border or you could be in an urban environment let's talk let's discuss a little bit about that changing dynamic and being able to like you know hey say hey you know what i might go up against a guy with an ak today or i may go up against a domestic where the guy has a 22 caliber pistol you know it can change that that quick yep 
Yeah. And, and uh, so we are diverse and, and we're a big county. And, and for people that don't know where Pinell County is, we're, we're on the outskirts of Phoenix Metro. So we're smashed right in between uh, the major Phoenix Metro area and uh, Tucson Metro area. So if you drive from Phoenix to Tucson or vice versa, you go right through our county on I-10. I-8 starts in our county and shoots out to San Diego. And so um, where our county sits, it the demographics are all over the place for our whole county, right? And, and just the diversity. So we have um, what is called Santan Valley, which is one of our most populated areas up in the northwest corner of our county. And that is essentially an unincorporated town of about 130,000 um, that we take care of as a sheriff's office, not under contract because they're not a, an actual city. They're just an unincorporated town. So you have essentially what is a city and we police it much like a city environment. So you have that environment. Then you go down to the southeast portion of our county and that is rural mining areas where we have towns that are population 1,000, 1,500. So they're small little areas. Uh, with the deep family roots, you know, that have been there for generations. And that's a different culture, the whole mining culture and uh, heavy Hispanic influence. So you have that machismo and stuff that you're dealing with, uh, with the DVs and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, then you go out to the southwest portion of our county and that's cartel land out there where it's it's uh, where our fight against the cartel is. And that's a farming community. Um, and it's a little bit populated, a little bit unpopulated. Uh, so you have the town of Maricopa that is a town of about 65,000. And then you go south of there and it's all small farmland and uh, open desert all the way down to the Mexican border, which is about 65 miles from like I-8 in that area that we're working. Um, but the smugglers, uh, the, the Mexican cartels, Sinaloa to be more specific, kind of controls those corridors. And, uh, they're pushing their stuff through. So like you said, we may be in the desert in the middle of nowhere in the Southwest portion of our County chasing a cartel crew. That's all armed with AK 47s. And then you're up in Santan Valley responding to a DV where a mother has gone crazy and is popping off rounds with the 22 or something, you know? Um, so very diverse calls. And uh, our, the cool thing about it for our cops that work for us is that, they can kind of pick their poison, right? So I'm working the city environment. I kind of dig this, but hey, I want to go see something different and I want to transfer down and I want to go work some border stuff, some cartel stuff, some drug smuggling, human smuggling stuff. They can get that flavor too. So it, it allows our people to be very well-rounded. And man, I'll tell you, I've always said this my whole career. I'll put a deputy sheriff against anybody any day because they're so well-rounded because of the diversity that they have to deal with. They're so well-rounded as a cop and, and some of the best cops around. Yeah. We talked, you and I talked a little offline about equipment and like the sheriff's department and like, you know, starting our careers earlier before all this equipment splurge <laughs> came out there and not having like the soft body armor, having, you know, the, the stuff that you're lucky if it stops a nine millimeter, essentially. Right. So, uh, equipment has definitely changed. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this show with hardhead veterans it's because I think uh, my last guest, Nako, brought it up right. He's like, look, it's like you're carrying around a soft, uh, a soft-boiled egg on your shoulders. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Man, you're right. We, we wear these vests to protect our core, protect those vitals. But, man, you get clipped in the head, you're out. 
Right. You know, nine times out of 10. I mean, yes, you can survive bullets at a head, but that is one protective measure that really kind of gets overlooked. So what do you think about wearing, uh, having the option to wear ballistic protection for your head? Oh, dude, I'm, I'm all in on anything that protects our people more and offers us more protection. And, and really, um, like the sheriff and I, when we discuss new equipment or looking at new things, we pitch it back down to, to the, the ground level troops. Like, what do you guys need? What do you want? Because we could sit here all day long and say, oh, we think this is cool. We think this will work. You push it out and it doesn't get used. Well, that's a, a failure, right? And so we, we want that input. We want to know what do they want? What do they like? Like uh, hard plates, for instance, because we wear concealable. It's soft armor. It only stops certain rounds. Um, one of the concerns brought up from the field was, you know, the, the prevalence of, of rifle rounds with, with AKs, SKSs, ARs. Um, and so uh, we put in for, got a grant last year and were able to outfit the majority of our people with uh, hard rifle plates if they wanted them that, that work in conjunction with their concealable and aren't real bulky like the old school uh, rifle plates. These are nice, thin, and it gives them that core protection um, for their vitals. And, and that was a big deal for us because if they were concerned about it, we're definitely concerned about it. And so we wanted to put them at ease. We, we want them to have the best equipment they can to do the best job they can and not have to think about all this crap, right? Just, just face what's in front of them, deal with that, make your decisions on that. Don't worry about all this side crap. And so anytime we can get them better stuff and protect them better, that's a no brainer. Yeah, and for the agencies out there, the small, big ones or anything else like that, listen to your people, the ground truth. Ground truth is like one of my favorite sayings. It's like, yeah. listen to the people on the ground. Because, yeah, you could be like, oh, helmet would be great. Uh, sappy plates would be great. You know, K-pots, whatever you have out there. But if your people aren't going to use them, yeah. it just becomes another thing. Right. And, and there, having, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. There, there's, uh, there are people that don't, right? There's, there's guys and gals that are just like, no, nah, that's not for me. Cool. You know, whatever. But. I don't want to not offer it to the people that would rock it. Where do you see policing going in the next two to three years? Everybody always says what's going to go on in five to 10 years from now, but where do you, what's the future of policing? Man, that that's hard because I feel that policing in our country right now is very regionalized in, in how it's going. Right. Um, because like you and I talked before, I know what our County looks like. I know what our state looks like. Um, but it does not look the same as the next state over. You, you know, you go to California, completely different picture there for law enforcement. Um, and it used to be back in the day, it was an East Coast, West Coast thing. So it was just the East Coast did things a little bit different as cops than the West Coast did. And the Midwest was kind of a, a you know, combination of both sometimes. Um, but now it's almost become state by state. And in some of those states, it's almost city by city or county by county. Um so it, it's hard to call, man. But what I what I think I am seeing and feeling right now here, at least, is that we have really good people that are those what everybody refers to as a silent majority that are done. Right. They are done with the way things are going and they're starting to step up and they're starting to place themselves in positions of, of decision making um, positions. Um, we have a lot of good people running for offices. And so I think the pendulum is going to swing back um, to, you know, we're going to get rid of this defund rhetoric. Um, that's always, they're already proven a disaster in many spots. And I think 
the uh, what's funny is when it starts affecting the politicians, all of a sudden we start seeing change, right? Well, I think a lot of those politicians, um, as evidenced in like Chicago, where where you know we lost a, a beautiful twenty nine year old girl um, that was just doing her job, and you see that mayor under some severe pressure because of her policies and her stance. And um, you see the people rising up and saying, we're done. We're, we're not putting up with this anymore. So I think the pendulum swinging back. Um, and not, I don't want to say in law enforcement's favor, in the favor of the rule of law, right? In, in the favor of good, not evil. Um, so I'm hopeful that the next two or three years is going to be a strengthening of, of law enforcement. Um, we always have room for improvement. And I think you're seeing that right now. I think the groundwork is being laid for where we can improve. And so I think the next two or three years, you're going to start to see the fruits of those labors where you're going to have more community connections and you're going to have more transparency, which is all fine. Um, that's only going to strengthen us doing our job, because if we're more connected with the community, it's going to be easier to do, because I would honestly rather the community handle their problems than me have to go in and fix their problems. Absolutely. A lot of it has to do with the community. And we're not talking the old broken windows aspects of the 1970s. We're talking about the community being involved with their policing and being involved with their, their neighbors, looking out to see what's going on and, and opening conversation. Not everything has to be hate. Maybe you meet in the middle and say, hey, you know what? We could agree to disagree, uh, but let's fix this. Right. Absolutely, man. Um, and And that's that's one of the things we really have to get back to because we're not going to arrest our way out of problems. We're, we're not going to fix social issues. That That's not what we do. We are law enforcers. So we don't make the laws. We just enforce them. And we try to maintain public safety and we try and maintain safe communities where people feel safe to raise their families and, and, you know, enjoy their God given liberties and rights. That's really all we do. And the thing that people need to remember is that we're community members also. So I want the same things they want. Um, and I just happen to be in a position and doing a job where I can actually have even more of an effect on that. And we're just asking them, join in with us. You don't have to put the badge and, and gun on, but you can be the eyes. You can be the influence because a lot of these people have more influence than they think. That is the truth. They do have more influence. It's not just social media too. get away from social media for a little while. <laughs> Instagram is my favorite. I'll stay on there. Twitter, stay away. Facebook. Oh, yeah. Twitter's you know. horrible. Uh, I go in there, you know, if there's an emergency or something going on, I need to know what's going on right now. I'll look to like, you know, my local county broadcast or anything, but just stay away. Stay away from the vitriol out there. Matt, I appreciate everything that you are doing and I appreciate everything that your, your agency is doing and especially the support you have from your, from your senior staff and, and your lower subordinates as well. Absolutely, man. Thank you.